This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Startapod. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast, the best way to do it is to go to startapod.com slash probably. That's S-T-A-R-T-A-P-O-D dot com slash probably for a special offer. Probably Science. Probably science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. How are things? They're not too bad. It's all okay. It's tax day today. It's very exciting. I even pushed back from this pushback. I pushed back three more months. Yep. I'm. Uh, I I thought I had everything together enough, and then my accountant just went, "Let's just file the extension." Yeah. Why not? It, um, but yeah, that, it's all it's all fun. It's all exciting. Doug the cat you can hear in the background has a bow with a bell on it. That's what that noise is. In case oh, this podcast nice. is sounding more Christmassy. Um, fun fact: he hates it. So that's... <laughs> is it so you can locate him? What's the purpose of the bell? No, we just we we wanted a collar. Um, just because he's he's escaped once and he's come close to escaping more than once, so we thought we'll have a collar with a tag on it, so he has some way of identifying, and then. You know, if you're gonna buy, he's a tuxedo cat already. So oh, fancy, yeah. Why, why not make it a dapper collar? <laughs> and then it came with a bell, which we may have to remove because he's really disliking it. How do you know it's the bell and not the collar itself? We don't. Yeah, we're gonna have to oh, experiment. Okay. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, should we? Let's get into a guest. I, yes. I can't believe we haven't had the. I, um, I was looking through because the episode that I'm on with our guest of the great debate produced by friend of the show tj chambers and hosted by friend of the show baron vaughn uh but i'm on with this guest and i was like we we should have him back on to publicize it he's never been on i don't know how we've we screwed I up like that i can't believe it either yeah i thought uh, at some point in eight years we had but but yeah it, it's jonah ray hey jonah hey how's it go i'm i'm surprised you know what i'm not i'm not surprised i've <laughs> been on the show i think it's because uh you know i'm i'm asked a lot like when i ask people to be on my show it's like i mean to and then i don't think about it until maybe earlier in the day much like how today happened yeah i mean like hey can you be on the podcast and they're now? like yeah like <laughs> what, what about like now? later now now how's now um and so uh i think that's the way i've been asked before because I think I kind of set it up. I'm like, I don't know my schedule. I don't really like planning things in advance. Just let me know when you're recording. And it still, it just hasn't happened. Yeah. But and I'm, also, it, yeah. And also, I think we've we've both been doing our respective podcasts at multiple comedy festivals at the same time. So also mm-hmm. in my head, I've like just associated that we we did Podfest together. We did obviously Bridgetown more than once together. That's right. Um, yeah. It's also I don't know what it is. I think it's um, we all kind of get. It, I, and I think it just it depends on the person where it's like if I was to with with either of you, if like I, it's like I'd almost rather be like, it's like, well, yeah, we could podcast, but let's just go hang out. You know? <laughs> right, <laughs> I know we've all you know done our best to monetize friendships. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. By the way, that's not unlike the way I forgot that. Um, do you remember like five years ago we ran into each other at an open mic night in New Orleans? Oh, yes, that's right. And, and you were shooting a Hidden America the next day. So I just got to be in Hidden America because you saw me the day before. That's right. <laughs> you were yeah, like, you, were, hey. you were in the pilot. Uh, that was we were out there shooting the pilot. And I was just like, I was like, oh, you know what? You, you would be great for the, I have this idea because there was like there were certain things we had. And there were there was and I was just like, I was like, you'd be perfect for this. And that's you know, that's almost the testament that drives, I think, all of us crazy as as, you know, uh, performers is that like uh, if we're not out there. 
I'm not going to get the job. Yes, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, that's yes. the big fear, right? Because I've been off social media for about a month now, and I'm, I, you know, I'm happier, but also I a bit scared, a bit scared you, of you know. Your hand is half see through, a la Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I exist? Well, you know, well, I, well, you know, at least I, you know, have. Well, I have more time on my hands. That's for sure. I'm sure you're, are you happier? I'm hoping you're happier at least. Yeah. You know, it's, um, so this maybe only really like, uh, applies to people who, you know, drink regularly like me, but there'll be times where I'll take like, you know, uh, a month off here and there, some of that, but there's a thing that happens like a week and a half in from when you have a, you know, you haven't had a drink or any, uh, weed or anything like that. You, you like hit this clarity and this kind of, uh, 10% more, uh, room in your brain. Um, mm. And that's how it's been feeling with being off social media. Like I'm legitimately uh, less stressed and uh, a lot happier. I got to do it. I got to do it. Yeah. Especially during these times, like there's nothing good about turning in, turning off the light, getting in bed. Like, oh, let me just check Twitter one more time and make sure I'm not going to sleep for the next three hours. I think about all the time I spend like seeing a, some news that's upsetting to me and then looking at what random people are saying about it below, you know, who are, who's responding to this, right, yeah. this stuff. And like these people I don't know or don't care about or don't like, and then, and then I get indignant too. And then I start responding like dork to them. And like, I'm like, what am I I'm not doing anything? It's this, it's this slow morphine drip of accomplishment uh, <laughs> when you're on these things and you kind of just go, well, I did, I didn't have to write anything. Cause I, you know, made a, I, a, you know, Taika Waititi liked one of my tweets. Well, that's you know? pretty, to be fair, that's a pretty good accomplishment for a day. Sure, uh, sure, it is, but like, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know, at least I, I really, don't... really, I completely slammed a state senator candidate <laughs> in North Carolina. Like that's, yeah, it's, it's I, I like the idea. It's funny too because every time I bring it up, uh, it's the like you know, Andy, that was the response. It was like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And like I told Deanna, that's the response I normally get, where people kind of go, yeah, it's good to take a break. Yeah, it's good to take a break every once in a while. And she's like, this just sounds like you're talking to fellow addicts. It's really, yeah. It's like, it's it like, yeah, maybe I should dry out a bit. Maybe stop doing so much heroin. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's good to take a break every once in a while. You don't want to overdo it. Yeah. Plus then when you go back, it just goes further. You know, you just yeah. get out. <laughs> That's the danger is your tolerance is so low when you go back, you could OD on social media right away. So Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. You can have your heart hurt too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, oh, by the way, just you mentioned, you mentioned Hidden America. Is that still... Because that was a great series. It was a sort of Thanks. fake travelogue, uh, uh, travelogue show that you made for CISO, but CISO is no more. Can you still find the the show? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's uh, when it came to CISO shows, uh, uh, four of them I believe were bought by this thing called VRV, like Verve or you know, VRV.co. It's an app on like you know uh, Apple and and Fire Stick and all that stuff. It's also just a website you can go to, uh, and they took on uh, my brother, my brother and me. Their show, they took on Hidden America, they took on Harmon Quest, and I think, uh, and then Cyanide and Happiness, the cartoon. Um, oh, yeah. But what's pretty great about I was a bit upset at first, but um, they put them up in front of the firewall because they're already like, you know, they didn't have to really pay any money for it. So they're all up in front of the paywall. So you can see like uh, both seasons of Hidden America for free. You just have to give, you just have to sign up for an account, which is essentially just, you know, you put in your email. And then you like, uh, but you don't have to give any credit card information. So it's all there on VRV. 
but it's, I, it's I impossible to tell. I'm being in front of the firewall. I'm like, I, you know, if I'd made that series, I'd want it to be seen by as many people as possible. It was a good show. Thanks, and that's all I really wanted. And that's like that was the the bummer part. It was just like I, I finally kind of got to make the show that's been in my head for so long, and I, you know, I I worked my ass off trying to make it as good as I could and it's a show that I would want to watch and then uh immediately like it's like on this thing that no one can see and then uh and then the thing that no one could see goes away and I was just like I was pretty wrecked <laughs> for a bit about it but uh but I'm glad that it's somewhere there you know it's more it's just accessible to anybody it's just trying to get, it's just pointing people to it and it is so funny the fact that you got Anthony Bourdain on this show that is sort of a parody of Anthony Bourdain and that he oh, was so straight funny up. on it is yeah is yeah yeah he amazing. was so great yeah, it was like, and that was, you know, we, the whole thing is that I love, I love Bourdain and I love his show and I love, you know, uh, Steve Coogan's, um, uh, you know, Alan Partridge character, especially the, uh, the places of my life special. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's a great special where he just kind of shows off Norwich and it's, uh, and I, I kind of was watching that and I, I had this idea for a travel show parody, but then I saw places of my life by, you know, Alan Partridge, uh, and then, you know, and then, but getting to do it and then like, uh, like having, you know, Bourdain, you know, tweet about the show when it came out for the first season. And then uh, my friend Catherine Spires actually was interviewing him for some food magazine. And she's like, oh, you know, my old roommate, my friend is the one that made uh, Hidden America. He's like, oh, yeah, Jonah Ray. She's like, would you ever show up on the show? He's like, if I could play like a real assholeish, buffoonish <laughs> version of myself where I just seem terrible, I'll do it. And I was just like, I'm on it. Yeah, I will That's only amazing. do it if I'm if they will let me do the thing that they definitely want me to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a bit odd at first when I when like that like I heard that cuz I was just like, "Oh no, but like that's what I do on the show." Oh, that's uh, true. like my my <laughs> show is enough, like where I'm a buffoonish version of him, but like uh but yeah, he was so down and game for all of it. Like it was one of those things where, you know, we like he's like, "Bourdain's down for doing the show. Send him three ideas." So I sent him like, you know, three ideas. And then he's like, he's fine with any of these. And I said, then I shall incorporate all three of them into one <laughs> sketch. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, our listeners, uh, we will link to that in the show notes. It's definitely worth checking out. There's a lot of great stuff in there. And, and then Mike, a of, Mike. Yeah, a lot of great it, people in it. You're in it. I, I mean, very brief. I don't have like yeah. a, but Mike Mitchell's Guy Fieri-ish character, whatever yeah. his name is. is Chaz great. Duffy. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. missed the chance to be in the London episode by, I can't remember. I was like, I missed being in London by a few days around when you were filming it. That's right. Yeah. And it's like, we had like, I remember cause you, I think it was one of those things where we were still not sure you and I like texted a bit about if you were going to be there at the time. So there was like a, there was like a spot. There was like a character that I was just like, it's like, well, hold off on casting that for now because my friend might be around. <laughs> but that's like, that was a great part. Just having a lot of friends in it, like having a lot of people. Like, it's like, you know, I had a ton of people from uh, Mr. Show in it, which was really exciting. Uh, you know, I had like Randall Park in it, Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, it's just, you know, it was really, really exciting. It was actually the last thing that... Um, uh, um, Oh, shoot. I'm blanking on his name. The 80s comic. He was in the Boston episode. Oh, my God. I feel um, so bad. We're short pants, people. We don't oh, 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 yes. Kevin Meany. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Meany. It was yeah. uh, like we. Kevin Meany was like so great in it. And it like um, and uh, it turned out to be like the last thing he ever shot before he died. Oh, yeah. yeah he, he is hilarious. Yeah. We went to an open mic, actually, like uh, me, him and uh, Mike Mitchell. Uh, we're like, we get, we got some pizza and wine after the shoot day and we're just hanging out. And then, you know, he gets kind of drunk and then he's just like, he's like, let's find an open mic. And I, I, (laughs) so so I go on Twitter. I was like, Hey, uh, I'm in, I'm in Boston. 
with Kevin Meany, where's the open <laughs> mic? And a bunch of people were going like, go to the, the, the Baghdad, I think, or something like that. It was the, the room. And so we go and it's all like young, really young people doing stuff. And then he goes up and he's like, you know, just talking about Gladys Knight and the pips. And it's just like, <laughs> and he's just like telling people to find their light. And he's just critiquing and, and he's destroying. He's just destroying. Oh it was it was incredible. Uh, and I was like, he's he might not be. I mean, he, I don't think he gets his due as far as how how much of a like how he should be in that pantheon of of uh, um, the comedy boom greats. You know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's uh, considered. Yeah, I don't maybe. Know. I mean, he's he shows up a lot in that when stand up stood out doc, which is oh, the doc okay, about yeah. that thing. But yeah. But we're not here to talk about so, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Science. Let's talk about science. Well, we'd like to ask our guests before we get into the stories. Uh, Jonah, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that, um, that's ranged from, like, classes you liked or hated at school to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't – I wasn't good in school. So, like, anything that had – especially because, you know, a lot of the high school science tended to have aspects of math in it, and it uh, – it turned me off. I was fascinated by it, but like I wasn't ever really good at it. I was just I wasn't good at school. Um, right. And uh, but, you know, because of like, you know, when I started doing Nerdist stuff and like we kind of like got, uh, you know, uh, pulled into the, you know, the the nerd world of the like kind of nerd culture revolution thing to happen. I got like a, I took like an easy gig doing a YouTube show called Joe Genius, where I That's like right. flew to. um Denver or outside of Denver for like uh, two days straight and just kind of like wrote a bunch of like, you know, uh, copy to be the host for this, like basically a a backyard science clip show. And I remember like getting really into it and really having a good time doing that. Uh, Did you guys do like the uh, elephant toothpaste uh, hydrogen peroxide thing or I'm trying to think, you know, that was the thing. It's like we didn't do anything. It was just it was a clip show. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was kind of, but it was exciting because it's like, you know, I got to see a bunch of stuff that, you know, all at once kind of put together and I got to make jokes about it. But uh, yeah, like I didn't, lit- I literally did no things. I was just going like, here's another guy that thinks that, a, you know, fire cyclone is a good idea. And then, you know, <laughs> cut to a guy going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> That was yeah. That was kind of the heyday of. Uh, I, mean, I can't believe how many cl- I worked on a clip show hosted by Dean Cain for some reason. Oh wow! In that era, yeah. TV. Is uh, it true that he, he requires people to call him daddy? <laughs> I've heard that before, where he's like, he's like, call me daddy. Like I, is, I I didn't know that, but halfway through taping, he just decided to start taking on this different voice that had oh, like a no. vocal fry, oh, and like no. the, the director was trying to address this thing that like no one else. Could, I mean, when someone just starts talking differently and doesn't say anything about it, you're just like, how do we deal with this situation? This doesn't <laughs> match the first five episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, and probably weird. for the best. No one saw it. Uh, yeah, it did not yeah. matter. So. But yeah, there was then that was just a, that was just a web show. It was a, some YouTube show or something like that. And it's funny too because like every once in a while, like. It was just a thing. I was like, well, no one will ever see this because it was just in that time, too, where there was a there was the the, the whole joke, I think, of like the uh, late, you know, first decade of the 2000s was like, uh, oh, you know, uh, Stamps.com. No, no, that's too much of a that they do podcasts. But it's just but, like it's like, you but, know, Ritz Crackers. Yeah, they're making original content right, right now. Right, right, pitch right, to yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about how much branded. Yeah, yeah. It was really going to be yeah. a thing for you know, a while. Big Red Gum. Yeah, they're doing their own. They're doing original content. <laughs> Everyone was I, trying to just replicate the Colgate Comedy Hour. Right. <laughs> it's come full circle. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Gold Medal Flower, by the way. <laughs> is, uh... We but, guarantee but not, not no the food products, the actual yeah. network. They're separate organizations now. They're, they're a whole separate thing. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh my god. And then I guess you uh, you can't forget the science inherent in mystery and science and theater, of which sure. you, you, you were the host of the most recent. Of, yeah, uh, what was the what was the was colon? The, the Return, Mystery Science Theater 3000 Yeah, the return. Mystery Science Theater The Return was the first season we did, season 11. Season 12 was uh, Mystery Science Theater The Gauntlet. The Gauntlet. Yeah, uh, which was the uh, the kind of the quick bingey uh, season, which I really liked. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, of course, dream come true. But yeah, it's uh, that 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 was a different kind of uh, lesson in like kind of science of like, I guess, you know, more physics, just because there were so many props and uh, sleight of hand tricks and stuff to do. Um for all the like invention exchanges and i had to kind of learn that stuff and it was a joel hodgson would always just be like it's like all right for this one you're kind of going to do like you know like a ball drop you know like it was like he always had these like magic moves to make certain you know props and stuff work and i was like i don't know how to do that (laughs) i can't palm a uh yeah yeah i was a different kind of nerd when i was 16 yes yeah yeah, i was playing drums while you were learning coin tricks yeah and like it's like and so i had like i had to kind of learn all these kind of you know it's like remember like you know hit it hit this thing here or hit hit like you know make sure you pick it up from this thing and then toss it that way and it's just because like the crux won't move in the right way to make the joke work (laughs) and so much of that show i didn't think about it until you told me and then of course like it's all this one shot long take you know, it's almost like doing live theater in a way because you're not, you can't cut away to different angles on things. And yeah, yeah, it's all like it, which was, you know, I wasn't used to. It. I mean, like, you know, stand up is different, at least for me, like where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm rambling and it's my own thing. It's my own show when I'm up there. But like with this, it's, you know, it was dialogue. It was, you know, just doing a, like a play, like a little mini one shot play every time we were on the, uh, on the satellite love set. And it was, uh, it was so much. It was so much. It's like, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad it was so much because if it, if it wasn't so stressful and so much work to do, I probably would have got overwhelmed uh, by just the idea that I was hosting Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, that is kind of a nerdy kid's dream come true. That's, uh, that's yeah, so awesome. So it's like the fact that like I didn't have you know the brain space to because I had to learn like a you know a very long wordy rap about monsters from all over the world like <laughs> like i didn't get a chance to go like wow can you believe it Here who would have thought <laughs> it is amazing and so cool that it ended up being all these comics that we know and love you and, and of course baron vaughn and hampton yunt as uh crow and tom wait as baron is tom servo or crow why do i always confuse the two uh, you know what? That was a, that was some of the some of the reviews we got too. <laughs> no, no, I don't actually confuse them. But yeah, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, uh, Baron did uh, Tom Servo. Tom Servo and, and Crow, uh, was uh, Hampton, and it's funny because like I, you know, knowing Hampton for so long, he always reminded me of Crow. So when like jo- Joel was like, "It's like who do you think would be?" I was just like, "Is this guy named Hampton? Yeah, I should do Crow." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and that's still available on Netflix. Everyone should check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't know much about the show, uh, uh, you know, or like uh, you're hesitant about me and my version of it, <laughs> which is totally, I get that. I totally get that. But um, the episodes, I think uh, if you want to just check it out, you know, wade into the waters, uh, the Mac and Me episode. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Is, is one in us uh, and Cry Wilderness. A lot of old school heads, a lot of old misties seem to kind of really gravitate towards uh, Cry Wilderness. So Yeah, I'd never heard of that before seeing it in and that was so fun again to to watch that episode when we when we did that show together uh at bridgetown when you got to interview me hampton and baron and then we showed that it was just so cool like kind of like oh getting to hear people laugh at the jokes that we kind of made in a vacuum yeah yeah my only problem with the show is um some of the films are just not good (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, like you know, all, of, all of your skits are good, but like the the films that you're you're watching at the same time, some of them are just terrible. We'll work on that. Well, you know, well, the, some of them, yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of like every once in a while there would be something that I'm like, it's not that it's bad. It's just that it kind of like um, culturally got left behind. You know, <laughs> right, it was right. just a, it was at the time it was fine, and now it just seems. You know, because a lot of these movies aren't incapable of being movies. Some right. of them are, but like you know, other like Cry Wilderness, that's incapable of being a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. But that's like Youngery, you know, the, you know, Korea's answer to, uh, you know, Godzilla uh, was like very much. It's like that was just that was just a good monster movie. It was fine. It was totally fine. Yeah, yeah, it's very. You know, it's funny. I just the other day was talking about Matt, uh, like the. A joke that you made. Oh, God. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I'm, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> Should I not bring it up? One time I almost brought it up. We had, like, uh, on Jonah Radio, the music podcast, I did, like, we had E from Eels on, and I started to go into it, and then I was like, wait a minute, the guy from Eels might totally be friends with Nick Cave. Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe was, I shouldn't bring up this terrible joke that my friend made. <laughs> but it's, so, it's, so, it's more about how fast it was, how fast your brain works. Where I'll just tell, I'll just, do you want to say it or do you want to? I'll tell you, it was a very bad taste joke because we were, we were surrounded entirely by comics and. Yes, it was at a bar. Sometimes you just want to say the worst taste thing that you can in front of other comedians and. And I'll set it up. I said, I was looking at my phone because I was hanging out with my friends. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I was looking at my phone. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Uh, Nick Cave, uh, his son died. He fell off a cliff. Uh, yeah, and I may have then said, "Wow, that's weird," because Jimmy Cliff's son died in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> and it was immediate. It wasn't like it was it didn't you didn't soak in the information. That's probably why it was such a cruel joke. <laughs> it was horrible. I feel very bad. It was a very horrible, tragic story. Yeah. <laughs> so, if it had taken you ten seconds, it would have been tasteless and bad. But the fact that it's instant makes it okay and funny. <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. It was just. And it, it, it was one of those things where he started talking immediately after I said it, like he would, like, that's the thing. It caught everyone off guard because it sounded like he was really going into a real story. <laughs> and then I think it, and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even laughs that came from everybody. It was just, oh! <laughs> yeah, I'm glad oh. you didn't say that to, to one yeah. man of one of my favorite bands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was just one of those things he, because the guy is so funny, like that guy E is so funny, and like we were just like back and forth, and like and he was kind of being shitty about some stuff, and then like like it just came up, and I was like, that never much stop for a song. <laughs> he is he's le- he's legitimately like stand up level funny in between mm-hmm. songs to the shows. I hate when someone's a good musician and actually funny, not just like musician funny. Yeah, yeah no, not he's just, just like, like John weird, Mayer, funny and genuinely like, oh, this is just yeah, your brain works. And also, his pulling it back to science for a second. His dad is renowned physicist Hugh Everett, who that's right, who came up with the uh, the many worlds theory. Oh, yeah, died mysteriously, right? Uh, I think he did. Yeah, he was one of those. Well, I, I know, like um. Like wrinkle in time mysteriously, like like someone has to find a tesseract to get to him. Or <laughs> well, I, know I can't he remember. Had that There's a documentary. He just on lost him. all of his family in in horrible ways in a oh, yeah, amount of time. But there's a he, there's a Nova documentary on his dad that he I think uh, 
uh, host or you know presents oh, in some way. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, he's he's super funny. Also, Ted Leo from Ted Leo and the Pharmacist and Chisel. That's like that's half stand up show, half rock show. Oh yeah, he's great. And, and, and Amy, uh, Tegan, Amy Mann, Amy Mann, the yes. two of them together. Yeah, yeah, Tegan and Sarah. They're like that's a very funny. They're very very funny uh, between songs. Oh, and the uh, the band We Are Scientists. Oh, really? Very funny. I saw them. I think I've only ever seen them live once, but I saw them at Glastonbury probably ten years ago or so, and they were, yeah, one of them just. I think well, both of them, but one of them in particular just started talking about the things that they'd seen walking around Glastonbury the night before, and it just became apparent halfway through that the entire thing was bullshit, and it was just getting weirder and weirder. Oh, <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, very funny. Yeah, and of course uh, uh, the band Dillinger Four because of the bass player Patty. Just that's one of the. That's like sometimes they're so drunk that the songs are so sloppy that you're like, you know, at this point, just just talk. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen them. I have to. Uh, well, we're talking about monsters invading various uh, countries around the world. Um, Matt, did you see this story that Justin Broad sent in? Uh, is, did it involve flying snakes? It involves flying snakes. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't even know that was a thing. I did. Like, yeah. The story was we've discovered how they fly, and the news to me was some snakes <laughs> some fly. Some snakes fly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a New York Post article, which is always the best science resource. Uh, mystery yeah, of how fly. Nice when you're reading your science stories, and like the sidebar next to it is like Kellyanne Conway's daughter continues feud with mom, <laughs> <laughs> and teens are dressing up as mask-wearing grandmas to try to score alcohol. I, know, I thought when I first saw that 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 was just like a uh, like a Jenkum style story where we're falling for a thing kids are trying to tell us is happening that isn't actually happening. But uh, maybe not. I mean, probably. Yeah, who knows? Anyhow, the mystery of how flying snakes move is solved by scientists. <laughs> so flying snakes are able to undulate their bodies as they glide through the air, and those unique movements allow them to take flight, scientists have found. These snakes, um, such as Kais... Kru- Chrysopelia paradisi, also known as the paradise tree snake, tend to reside in the trees of South and Southeast Asia. While up there, they move along tree branches, and sometimes to reach another tree, they'll launch themselves into the air and glide down at an angle. For their research published in the journal Nature Physics, uh, scientists from Virginia Tech put motion capture tags on seven snakes and filmed them with high-speed cameras as the snakes flew across a four-story high theater. Damn. Uh, That just paid for the next Planet Earth uh, season. (laughs) Yeah. It, uh, it, by the, it, when I read that at first, I was like, hang on, what? Oh, okay. So they're, they're in this four-story high theater, and they're launching these snakes indoors. It, might, it took me a while to realize they weren't, like, outdoors going from rooftop to rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of parker. Right. <laughs> uh, so Jake Socha, a professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering and Mechanics at Virginia Tech, who has studied these snakes for more than 20 years. Wow, 20 years. I haven't even heard of them until today. Uh, worked with his colleagues to build a 3D model after measuring more than 100 live snake glides. Their model factors in, their model factors in frequencies of undulating waves, their direction, forces acting on the body, and mass distribution. With it, the researchers have run virtual experiments to investigate aerial undulation. In all these years, I think I've seen close to a thousand glides, said Socha in a statement and a faraway look in his eye. Um, <laughs> it's, it's still amazing to see every time. Seeing it in person, there's something a little different about it. It's shocking still. What exactly is this animal doing? Being able Undulate. to answer, undulate. Undulating yeah. is a word you don't hear too often no. and, and shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being able to answer this question, the questions I've had since I was a graduate student many, many years later is incredibly satisfying. That's kind of crazy to think. 20 years on this like 
Moby Dickian mission. <laughs> How yeah. do snakes fly? <laughs> uh, so in one set of experiments that aimed to discern why undulation was part of each glide, they simulated what would happen if it wasn't. They did this by turning it off. When their virtual snake couldn't undulate in the air, its body would fall. That test, paired with simulated glides that kept the movement going, confirmed their hypothesis that aerial undulation, wow, I've used that word too many times now, uh, enhances rotational stability in flying snakes. By the way, this I w- hope at least once or twice they made it fly through a hoop like a stage magician. Oh, yeah, on fire. <laughs> yeah. This work demonstrates that aerial undulation in snakes serves a different function than known uses of undulation. This is too many undulations, you guys. Yeah. Uh, in other animals and suggests a new template of control for dynamic flying robots. Oh, that was the conclusion of the paper's abstract. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna be like, "What is? Does this guy know that him figuring this out will only cause uh, new ways for bombs to be dropped?" Oh yes, S- snake bombs. Yeah. They don't even have to be bombs. They could just be snakes. I mean, what kind they of? Could... <laughs> <laughs> Who is not going to surrender? Uh, Brooks Wheeland would surrender. He is the most terrified of snakes of anyone I know, and a former co-host of the show. Well, it's because he's uh, he's part Indiana Jones. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Was B.A. Baracus also... No, he's just afraid of flying, right? But the two together, I mean, like, yeah. flying snakes is basically snakes. the... <laughs> um, snakes on a plane would be the nemesis of both of those. So what are, what are the list of uh, things that uh, can fly uh, that shouldn't fly? There's, you, got, there, you got your flying fish, you got your flying snake, Squ- now there's the squirrel. squirrel. You got squirrels, yeah. you're flying squirrels. I wonder yeah. if of those, only the fish could really be considered... I mean, squirrel and snake, if they're always descending, it's really... Gliding, like gliding, right? Yeah. If you're not fish, they're just launching themselves, right? That's yeah, I was going to say, flying fish aren't. I don't think they get any extra thrust after they've left the surface of the water. Do they? They just sort of water-based thrust and then a slow glide mm. down. I don't know. Is, I that, guess is thought... that is that your new sexy R and B song? <laughs> water-based <laughs> thrust. <laughs> thrust what a base thrust. Slow glide down. It's safer than, it's safer than silicone base because it degrades some um, some toys. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean oh there's also air jaws, but that's just uh it's not really anything at all. <laughs> the air it is, air was impressive. Air jaws. Air you know, jaws. No air jaws, you know, like in Shark Week where they just have those they just swim straight up into the air. I mean I'm looking at the rule book. It's nothing in the rule book it says that uh, a jaws can't uh <laughs> can't play basketball so yeah but you know at the same time there are birds who can't fly multiple birds that can't fly the one thing that birds are known for yeah if you could just partner up a penguin with uh, an undulating snake you'd have um something yeah you, 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 i wonder if there's like situations where like an ostrich is looking at like an undulating like or like a flying squirrel and just gonna like you bitch how did this happen <laughs> how has it come to this by the way <laughs> I heard it as air jazz at first, and it took me a while to reconstruct. I was like, oh, that's a much funnier joke than I thought it was. I was like, I didn't... <laughs> air jazz is great. I just... Air, I just... Ja- air jazz is just scatting, right? <laughs> <laughs> or just what dads do when they're at a jazz club watching a show. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, do you have a story for us? Oh, I did have the snake one loaded up. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Other. I didn't know that was your first. That's okay. I should have... Once you once you had the snake one ready to go, I, I should have... Uh, <laughs> um, well, actually, I do have this. Uh, while we're talking about things that are remarkable and scary, but this is a little bit further away from us, and I don't think we're in any immediate danger, but the hungriest black hole, or the hungriest hole in the universe, has been <laughs> discovered. A few people sent this to us. Our quarantine is hitting everyone real hard, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This uh, this hungry black hole is gobbling up one sun per day. Damn! 
Yeah, Damn! It's, it's a hungry hole. I'm gonna. I'll put the link in the um little notes here, so we you can all click on it if you choose. But one Earth Day every 24 hours. Yeah, every 24 hours it is. Uh, the story starts with how many suns do you think you could eat per day if challenged? Mm. Oh yeah, cheeky little thecut.com. <laughs> But, are you allowed uh, to are you allowed yeah. to dip them in water first, Kobayashi style? <laughs> that was they a revolution in speed eating. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and also, you know, separating the parts. But uh, to make it more interesting, let's say the prize was fifty thousand dollars for whoever could eat the most hunts. All right, it's just, just put, they're pushing it a bit now on this. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in 2018, a team of scientists from the Research School of Astronomy and Astrophysics at the Australian National University discovered the fastest growing supermassive black hole in the known universe which is currently named J2157. This week, the same team released new research explaining exactly how massive the hole is as well as how much it eats to sustain its growth. The answer may shock you. Mm. Yeah, this is, the, uh, this is the black hole that scientists don't want you to know about. <laughs> <laughs> um, according to a press release about the research, the black hole is 34 billion times the mass of our sun and about 8,000 times bigger than the black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Damn. Yeah, research team member Dr. Christopher Onken explained it like this. If the Milky Way's black hole wanted to grow that fat, it would have to swallow two-thirds of all of the stars in our galaxy. Damn. That's wow. The article actually says the word damn. I wasn't having that. <laughs> oh, it does. It, it does. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I think the cut.com is a little bit more colloquial than most of yeah. the science stories we cover, including the New York Post, which we just read. That's mm. true. Researcher, That's crazy. Yeah. Researcher Dr. Fuyan Bian said they were tipped off to the black hole's impressive mass back in 2018 when they noticed its rate of growth. How much black holes can swallow depends on how much mass they already have, he said. So for this one to be devouring matter at such a high rate, we thought it become a, could become a new record holder, and now we know. Uh, and according to the re- release, the whole gorge is on nearly the equivalent of one sun every day. Uh, Was it at the Angel of Death? Yeah? Mm-hmm. But, um, Moses getting in trouble with this uh, universe? There is. <laughs> um, this is one of the play. You listen, they're not all going to be great. <laughs> no, it's, um, I like that it's sort of an Andrew Dice Clay uh, astrophysics uh, comic. It's a, yeah, it's a little like Andrew Dice Clay, Norm MacDonald. Uh, oh, that's. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh my God, Matt, did you not uh, see how awfully this article ends? Uh, yeah, I intentionally edited it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it very much goes back to its original premise of the eating competition, and really drills it into the ground. It almost Jeez. seems like it was written by a non-native English speaker or some kind of Google Translate in these yeah. last few lines. Uh, I I feel like it was written more by someone who was just you know trying to be a bit cutesy. Yeah, read yeah. it. Read uh, now it. we have read to, don't it. we? Go on, yes. take it. I've already closed down the article and just okay. It's I'll just finish it. So after after it quotes on after it gives the quote about eating one sun every day, uh, the the author of the article closes with the whole puts you to shame. It's true, but please do not feel sad. I have faith that you too can one day eat a sun. Life is about challenging yourself. After all, it's about growth. End of article. Oy boy. Oy. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like when you want to look up a recipe and then you click on, you're like, oh, that looks like it could be a good recipe. And then you have to scroll through like three pages of when I thought about lemon meringue pie, I was reminded <laughs> of my grandmother. It's like the uh, Andy Rooney of. <laughs> yeah. 
But that was sent in by, or that was yours, wasn't it, Matt? You found I did that, send that in. Bad boy, longtime listener, Matt Kirshen. Um, <laughs> if you if you decide that you don't want to spend your quarantine time learning how to eat suns, uh, some of you might find yourselves wanting to start your own podcasts. What, what, what? <laughs> and if you do decide to do that, uh, this week's sponsor is a great resource for you to use. Of course, when we started this podcast eight years ago, we knew, knew nothing and um, probably paid a, a dear price for that because we had to just... Um, to School of Hard Knocks from the get-go. But if you are a new podcaster, you don't have to go through all that thanks to Start-A-Pod. Um, yeah, it would have been awesome if we'd had this at the beginning. It's it's the best resource for starting a podcast from the ground up. It provides everything you need in a simple, comprehensive way. It gives you in-depth video courses specifically related to podcasts and uh, also all the services and materials you need to get started and keep it going. Uh, plus, they offer a path to potential revenue, which um, definitely didn't know anything about in the beginning of, of our foray into this world yeah potential uh, revenue is my favorite kind of revenue uh <laughs> of revenue. kinetic revenue is also great yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> um and right now startup pod is offering introductory one-on-ones with new users their team is comprised of knowledgeable people ready to help you create a successful podcast and best of all our listeners can get all this for just four dollars and 99 cents a month with no contract needed all you have to do is go to startupod.com slash probably to get that offer. That's S-T-A-R-T-A-P-O-D dot com slash probably. What do you got to lose? Apart from seven years of your life relentlessly <laughs> pursuing a... <laughs> if only we could go back to 2012 and give ourselves this resource. You can find yourself... You could find yourself self-editing, talking to the front man of the yields. I mean, that's that, that's one of the things that could happen if you start your own podcast. Mm-hmm. That's right. Eventually, you'll you know wonder why it's still going. <laughs> there is something to be said for just not stopping like that's very it much really it's most of what we've done here yeah yeah i mean there's something that's like that's because it becomes you know it becomes your poker night it becomes like a just a way to check in with a friend sometimes that's true and in quarantine times yeah it's definitely uh good to stay sane when you're in the desert alone yeah you know? and like you know if anything i've lost so much money off of jonah radio that uh, I don't know why I ever continued to do it in the first place. What's the main overhead you have for that? Uh, booze. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's not a loss. That's uh, it's like a transfer of uh, yeah. It's like energy's never created or destroyed. It just changes forms. Like the, oh, but that would that booze. would be to say that there was any income at all ever. So, oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So we were, like we we laughed at the idea of making money off of the podcast, and now we're like going like maybe we should have been more serious about things. Yeah, I, uh, April Richardson's Go Bayside podcast. She was always adamant about like fugaziing it and just having it be this like no, I don't want to make any money. And then it got really big, and she's like, oh, kind of wish I'd monetized that. <laughs> yeah. Before. It got like six figures of listeners or whatever it had. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know if it was that, that big. Whatever. That was a. I I remember doing that. I recorded an episode of that show with her on a day with a raging hangover. Um, coming back from a, it was like a, was it like a Christmas party? It was a something party at Brittany's at our friend Brittany's old house, way up in the Deep Valley. Oh yeah, just yeah. driving gingerly to April's house and got it got really weird. Like I I can't remember how because you watch an episode of Saved by the Bell and then you start deconstructing it. But I it got into some sort of. Like, I decided the whole thing was some dream of one of the... Ca- I don't remember. <laughs> like, That's the whole great, thing was though, just that... constructed in the head of, of Screech. Screech, yeah. 
I love that you showed up drunk to a podcast uh, hosted by someone that's essentially straight edge. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, it, well, I wasn't drunk. I was just showing the after effects of alcohol. Oh, the, sorry, that's right. The you worst said you hungover. Sorry, it. yeah. Yes. <laughs> not even the fun bit, just like feeling ill and... Yeah. But it was fun. It was a fun episode. Um, well, while we are talking about making money online, uh, the breaking news while we're recording... Oh? Um, yeah, you. I've just put it in the... Did I put it in the show notes? I think I did. Oh, no, there we go. Um, yeah, so you may see uh, some tweets coming from prominent billionaires such as Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates asking you to donate Bitcoin to them. Uh, but it is a scam, apparently. Oh. Also, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and Kanye West have do- requested donations in the cryptocurrency. What? Turns out they have all been fuck, hacked. Fuck. Oh, fuck me. Oh, fuck. <laughs> No, 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 no. I gotta check my Robin Hood. No, 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 no. Oh my god, you just gave me COVID from that. That's uh <laughs> um, This is a. this is a, I I would have thought Twitter is one of the more secure um platforms. That's I don't amazing. know, but it is it, it is one of those ones where it's just like uh high spread, high gain, but very low hit rate kind of scam where you're like you're you're expecting maybe a one in a million return on this, but each of them is worth it. Where the tweet said, everyone is asking... One of the tweets, for example, is from Bill Gates' account that said, everyone is asking me to give back, and now is the time. You send $1,000, I send you back $2,000. <laughs> well, what's remarkable about that, what, what I don't quite get about it, is you're targeting a very niche sliver yes. of people, which is... People who are sufficiently tech literate to be able to use Bitcoin and transfer right. Bitcoin, but also insufficiently tech literate to know that that's the dumbest and most obviously scammy thing in the world. Yeah. Well, well I was thinking about this, though, not to like put bad ideas into the world, but I'm not actually worried someone's going to implement these. If you had access for, and you knew it was going to be for just a, a few minutes before you got caught to all these people's Twitter accounts, how could you best capitalize on that window of time? Because at least Bitcoin, once it's been transferred, it's untraceable. You've got that money. You're not going to get, I think, right? That you know, that no government's going to be able to find you. I'm not you. entirely sure. I think it is traceable to an extent, and there are ways of shutting down certain Bitcoin wallets and negating certain transfers if you catch them in time. But it's it's definitely hard. Because if you could also, if you're tweeting as Elon Musk, you could say something crazy about Tesla, and then sell and then do a short sale on the stock but then ftc that, could just look at who did a short sale right then and you're probably gonna get caught right right yeah i i think that is much harder to do so how would you do it how would you make money off of some twitter passwords if you had these i mean this is i think you're right that that is probably the the easiest and lowest risk version of it and how much did, the, did it say how much money was actually transferred if anyone I don't, let me see um, it's probably going to take a little bit of time for that to all. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's yeah. Yeah, if there's a two week lag. With with Kanye, Kanye is a good one to have hacked for this because it is slightly plausible that he would yeah. legitimately be doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like he wouldn't. He would just do it and then text Elon Musk, be like, "Hey, bro, I just did the thing you asked." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, also Kim Kardashian. Uh, Obama and Biden, uh, Bloomberg, and also companies' accounts like Uber and Apple were all targeted. That, wow. That's a huge hack. I can't believe... I, I mean, I guess they would never reveal how in any detail in these articles if, if, that, if that loophole hasn't been closed, but I just I can't understand how they could have 
done that. Unless no. all those people just have the dumbest passwords. <laughs> Unless they're all just... <laughs> Money, money, money. 69, Yeah, it's a good time to get off. Oh, yeah, the perfect time. Because obviously you would have been the first in line if you hadn't been taking your sabbatical, Jonah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have got dragged for it. <laughs> I think I still do have some Bitcoin. I, I'm just going to let it drop to zero. Oh, I guess it's not doing awfully, but like I bought at the absolute peak three years ago, I think. Oh, wow. Not yeah, too much you're not meant to do that. No, I think it's, I think it's the opposite, in fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they always say buy, buy low, is it buy sell high, is what uh, they say. Yeah. It's, one the, it's one of the two. It's definitely one of the two. <laughs> Feed a fever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, did you see our email from uh, a listener who's been catching up on our episodes named Ryan Olson? Um, it, I think, about, I believe it is the one, yes. It, that included an interesting find about prairie dogs. Oh, maybe this isn't the story I thought it was. Oh, okay. No, we could do something else if you want. No, no, no. Go for it. Speaking of people who've spent a long time um, studying interesting, weird things about animals, uh, Professor Khan Slobodchikov of Northern Arizona University has spent the past 30 years studying a foreign tongue, but there are no instructional podcasts or evening classes to help him. He's trying to learn prairie dog. This is NPR's uh, this is editorializing, NPR. <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yes. Uh, prairie dogs, a species of rodent na native to North America, live together in little villages of underground burrows. They're very social creatures, and when a predator enters their village, most often a dog or a coyote or a hawk, they call out to warn their neighbors. It's kind of like, chi-chi-chi-chi, says Slobodchikov. <laughs> oh, kind of like a dog's squeak toy. Uh, when, let's call him S, uh, first started studying the prairie dogs, he couldn't really tell the difference between the calls for, say, a coyote or a hawk. But the prairie dogs responded to the different calls with, with specific behaviors, like dropping into their burrows or standing up to get a better view. So he started to think there might be something in those cheese that he wasn't hearing. So he decided to investigate. Uh, S and his students went out into the prairie dog villages, hid behind bushes, and stuck out their microphones whenever a human or a dog or a coyote or a hawk passed through. They recorded calls that the prairie dogs made in response to different predators. Then he took his recordings to a lab and used a computer program to analyze the sounds. Any given sound is actually made up of different frequencies and overtone layers on top of one another. Uh, Slobodjikov's computer measured those frequencies and separated out all the component tones and overtones. What he discovered was that the calls clustered into different groups, and each cluster had its own signature set of frequencies and tones. Prairie dogs, in other words, don't just have a call for danger. They have a call for human, another for hawk, and a third for coyote. They can even differentiate between coyotes and domesticated dogs. Um, so he can tell... He can now tell the difference between these different calls using just his ears, no computer needed. Wow. But the sophistication of prairie dog cheese goes even deeper than he initially suspected. During his analysis, S noticed something. Even though the human call was consistently different from the other calls, there was still significant variation between the individual human calls. He began to wonder whether the little rodents could possibly be describing their predators, not just differentiating hawk from human, but actually saying something about the particular human or coyote or hawk that was yeah, approaching. Can we just stop for a second? Because I, I'm glad the article said the little rodents because I did not know what a prairie dog was or looked like. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. they're adorable. They yeah. are adorable until I started dating someone from Colorado and that's they're all over the state. But yeah, because I heard prairie dog in my head. I was thinking like coyote or fox or wolf or something. But they basically they look like groundhogs or sort of. Yeah, they look or a yeah, bit like squirrels, rodents. but without the bushy tail. Like the meerkats of America, but not probably not as big as meerkats. Yeah, I, I think actually, yeah. actually... But they stand up. 
They do. I mean, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They really do look. I think they look most like if you sort of took the the bushy tail off of a squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. Like skinny capybaras. Made him stand up. Yes, skinny capybaras. I saw them at Coachella last year. It was uh, (laughs) uh, side stage. Um, Okay, so yes. So we were saying that not only can they tell different species, but um, he he had four different human volunteers walk through a prairie dog village, and he dressed them all the same except for their shirts. Each volunteer walked through the community four times, once in a blue shirt, once in a yellow shirt, once in green, and once in gray. He found to his delight that the calls broke down into groups based on the color of the volunteer's shirt. And they say people aren't born with racism. (laughs) (laughs) So he was astounded um, even more by the further analysis that revealed that the calls also clustered based on other characteristics, like the height of the human. Essentially, they were saying, here comes the tall human in blue versus here comes the short human in yellow. And amazingly, it doesn't stop there. Slobodchikov's next move was to see if prairie dogs could differentiate between abstract shapes. So he and his students built two wooden towers on each side of a prairie dog village. They then made cardboard cutouts of circles, squares, and triangles and ran them out along a wire strung between the two towers. So the shapes sort of floated through the village about three feet from the ground. And the prairie dogs were able to tell the difference between the triangle and the circle. Uh, but alas, they made no mention of the difference between the square and the circle. Can I just say, as experiments go, this sounds like a lot of fun. I know. What I wish I could have seen this and heard it. Yeah. This sounds I like... don't know. At the same time, though, like it's like, this guy must have a hard time getting funding. <laughs> just because it's just... <laughs> It's just the idea of just it's like it's like so what so what am I giving you all this money? It's like well just be, to find out how prairie dogs have different they could tell the difference between a, a, a brown shirt and a blue shirt. It's yeah. like oh well here's a million dollars make that little thing. Let's work on shapes next. Right. <laughs> how much does it cost you to go to American Apparel? Okay. <laughs> Four different right. T-shirts. This um, experiment is just to find out which Spider-Man reboot the prairie dogs prefer. We're just going to see whether it's <laughs> Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, or. Uh, the new one. Um, <laughs> so they, uh, he repeated the experiments with other groups of prairie dogs. Um, with some, oh no, some, this experiment has been repeated with other groups. Some researchers question whether the prairie dogs are really describing the predators they see. But Slobodchikov continues to believe that communication among prairie dogs and other highly social animals is more sophisticated than we think. Um, he says the big problem is finding reliable ways to study animal communication because prairie dogs chatter at each other all day long, just in the course of normal social interaction. But what does it mean? We have no way of getting at it. Um, so until there's an instructional podcast for prairie dog patter, we'll have to wonder. Pratter. That was their, their conclusion, not mine. Hmm. But yeah, that's crazy. The height and the shirt color thing. That's, um, more than I would have expected of a prairie dog. Dolphins, sure, but dolphins, yeah. Well, they're yeah. they're going to take over one day. But I was just uh, listening to something, probably on NPR, about uh, like the mockingbird and how like the mockingbird can, you know, that's in in its name, but like it could, but like why if someone did research on like why it goes through certain, like like the it'll go from like crow to this bird to this bird to this bird and like it's like and then it will mix it up like they're constantly making a mixtape depending on like the time of day or the area they're in Mm -hmm. and it was uh it was it was interesting to know and then that was it (laughs) and that's the end yeah that's like it's sometimes i just kind of like it's it's news stories like that where i kind of go that's neat. I don't know how I'm ever going to work this into a conversation unless I go on my friend's science podcast. Hey, right. There you go. It's, that time has paid for itself now. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you don't want to be that guy just at the bar, you know. You know, mockingbirds. Um, <laughs> just somebody cut him off. Trying to turn the conversation towards crows, just so you can <laughs> draw your You go to the jukebox, put on the black crows, and then get back, and then someone bumps the song, so you're waiting so badly, you're like, yeah. "Hey, black crows, you know crows." <laughs> yeah, who's this band again? <laughs> Sorry, did you just say crow facts? What? <laughs> Who put out the the hit album Sophomore Effort Amorica? What was that band called? <laughs> Banned in some retail establishments because of its graphic portrayal of uh, pubic hair. Is <laughs> that too deep of an Amorica yeah. poll? And then a whole pubic hair conversation starts up when you realize you've lost the. All right, you're going to have to try something else now. It's gone too far. It's gone too far away from the original. We're just describing Cliff Clavin now. It's just, yeah. Remember the episode of Cheers when Cliff got um, one-upped by, they bought some trivia napkins and suddenly he wasn't needed in the bar because everyone's beer napkin had a piece of trivia on it. One of my favorite uh, uh, Cliff things, it's like what I, I I reference it so much is when Cliff uh, goes to do stand-up comedy. I haven't Uh, seen that. God, it's, I think it's like the, like last season or the second to last season. It's real late episode, but like he goes and does comedy uh like in an open mic and um his whole bit is like uh like hey long lines at the grocery store what's up with that (laughs) i tell you hey traffic (laughs) what's up with that i mean come on and then so as he's doing his bits like like slowly like people start leaving and it's just norm there like by himself and then like at the very end of a uh, uh, Cliff said he goes hey before I leave on a serious note drinking and driving what's up with that <laughs> thanks everybody I've been Cliff the mailman and then he starts to walk off and then all the lights come on like the like you know the go home lights the end of the night yeah yeah and then like uh, it's like he looks around and it's just uh, it's just a norm sitting there he's like uh, clapping and he's like oh where'd everybody go he's like oh there was a bomb scare he's like oh really where uh, he's like oh, right around where you're standing I believe that's the joke as far as I remember nice nice yeah <laughs> um I, I this story was going around uh just in the in the proper main news not even in the science sections it was oh. linked to so I think we should probably cover it fertility rates dropping around the world eesh oh children of men time yeah right. seriously um, a jaw-dropping global crash in children being born. The world is ill-prepared, apparently, for the uh, for this global crash in children being born, which is set to have a jaw-dropping impact on societies. So many jaws dropping right now, being I dropped. Know. Air jaws dropping. <laughs> <laughs> Back into the water. Uh, Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got hang time, but let's not get silly. <laughs> It's um, falling fertility rates mean nearly every country could have shrinking populations by the end of the century. And 23 nations, including Spain and Japan, are expected to see their populations halve by 20, by 2001. What, what do you even call the next 2100. century? 2100. I think it'll be 2100. 2100. Yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't call it 1900 100 years ago, probably, right? 1,900. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rent song you're going to do? Yeah, I can't oh, remember yeah. the rest of it. I forgot what it is, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, countries will also age dramatically with as many people turning 80 as there are being born. The fertility rate, the average number of children a woman gives birth to, it's very uh, gender binary reinforcing there, <laughs> bbc.com, uh, is falling. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the number falls below approximately 2.1, then the size of the population starts to fall. 
1950, women were having an average of 4.7 children in their lifetime. I didn't know that. Wow, that's a lot higher than I would have thought. That is. That's worldwide, I guess. I guess worldwide, yeah, where you're including, uh, particularly in 1950, where there would be some countries with pretty low mortality rates. Oh, sorry, high high infant mortality rates and so on. And the baby Um, boom, yeah. Researchers at the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation showed the global fertility rate nearly halved to 2.4 in 2017, and their study, published in The Lancet, projects it will fall below 1.7 by 2100. I mean, good, right? Good for the planet, good for people. Apparently not. So uh, maybe long term, but uh, as far as sort of society structure, not necessarily. So as a result, the researchers expect the number of people on the planet to peak at 9.7 billion around 2064 before falling down to 8.8 billion by the end of the century. That's a pretty big thing. Most of the uh, researcher, Professor Christopher Murray, said, uh, most of the world is transitioning into natural population decline. I think it's incredibly hard to think this through and recognize how big a thing it is. It's extraordinary. We'll have to reorganize societies. Uh, Why fertility rates falling... It has nothing to do with sperm counts or the usual things that come to mind when discussing fertility. Instead, it's being driven by more women in education and work, as well as greater access to contraception, leading to women choosing to have fewer children. In many ways, falling fertility rates are a success story. Uh, So which countries are most affected? Japan's population is projected to fall from a peak of 128 million a couple of years ago to less than 53 million by the end of the Damn, century. Damn, that's massively that is a different. big decline. Um, yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, Italy is expected to see an equally dramatic population crash from 61 million to 28 million over the same time frame. So again, that's less than half. Um, I'm still trying to see, like, the... the by and large, it's going to be better for everybody. More resources, mm, uh, more space. Not, I mean, yeah, there's going to be empty things. That, there's going to be just carcasses of, like, you know, swaths of towns and cities that are empty. But, like, I don't I don't know. I just, you well, know. So think it, about it, things like it, social it, security. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. it, it that's what exactly what it talks about here. So it, in the article, it goes on to say, why is this a problem? Uh, and, yeah, there are a bunch of other countries that will have more than – Will, will more than halve, including Spain, Portugal, Thailand, South Korea. And, and um, according to this projection, 183 out of 195 countries will have some kind of decline. Uh, so you might think it's a great thing for the environment, according to this article. A smaller population would reduce carbon emissions as well as deforestation. Um, that would be true, says Professor Murray, except for the inverted age structure, more old people, the young people, and all the uniformly negative consequences of an, of an inverted age structure. So the study projects the number of under fives will fall from 681 million in 2017 to 401 million in uh, 2100. And the number of over 80-year-olds will increase in that same time period from 141 million to 866 million. Damn. So so that's, that's the issue, is while the population is declining the age profile of it is massively shifting until there's a very large number of people in their 80s and older. Um, That'll create enormous social change, says Professor Murray. It makes me worried because I have an eight-year-old daughter and I wonder what would the world be like. Who pays tax in a massively aged world? Who pays for healthcare for the elderly? Who looks after the elderly? Will people still be able to retire from work? We need a soft landing, argues Professor Murray. 
This sounds like a capitalistic view on on I, I think it, it kind of does. Like well, it, it definitely re- sort of relies on society still being structured in such a way that you know you you live to work and you work to live. And but if, exactly, if no yeah. one is if no one is generating the the wealth that that could be then given to the elderly in the form of care, it's just not there. You know, it doesn't matter which system of of government you have. If if it's not there, it's not there. You know, you do need well, a base isn't, to isn't be generating to an extent an entirely constructed concept. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, is food is food a construct? I mean, no, but there's a difference between food food and and wealth, particularly when wealth is attra- attached to. You know, the value of certain work is like there's a difference between food, which is a necessity and an extra thousand dollars in your bank account, which is a right. theoretical, which is a way of theoretically exchanging something for ser- goods and services. But if you talk about services, like you don't even have a way of implementing these services if there just aren't people to be, let's say, nurses who are going to be the nurses as just right. one case of but then that. Well, to to that point, yeah, absolutely, you need people who are going to be those nurses and care workers. But if a large number of other jobs have by this point become automated, uh, you've got millions of people who, in this world, would be call center workers or factory assemb- assembly people or clothing manufacturers, and now those jobs don't exist. You know. It's, in, ideally, truck drivers good, are going to be the new nurses, right? Finally, I mean, kind of, right? You know, because that's yeah. going to be a job that won't. By we're already on the verge of self-driving cars being better than humans. Like by by eighty years from now, I mean, I can't imagine truck driver would be a job. Oh no, yeah. I mean, I talked about that with Stuart Russell when we were discussing his book on AI and. Or I think we did, but just like the thought we experiment did. of what happens when trucking goes away and Nebraska, for instance, 10% of, of its GDP is in the service, or maybe 20% in the service of trucking. Like what happens when an entire state just loses, you know, all these unforeseen consequences. And of course, truckers aren't going to retrain to become nurses, even though Ivanka wants them to. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. so the world's going to be, I mean, 2100, the world's going to be hell in so many other ways that this will probably not even be the first and foremost thing that we'll notice as being awful if we're around, but not to be a bummer, but. <laughs> so it says, are there any solutions? Uh, countries, including the UK, have used migration to boost the population and compensate for falling fertility rates. However, this stops being the answer once nearly every country's population is shrinking. Professor Murray says, we will go from the period where it's, a choice to open borders or not to frank competition to migrants as there won't be enough. Yeah, I think Professor Murray there is uh, still underestimating the effect of racism. (laughs) But but, um, some countries have tried policies such as enhanced maternity and paternity leave, free childcare, financial incentives, and extra employment rights, but there is no clear answer. Sweden has dragged its fertility rate up from 1.7 to 1.9. Nice work, Sweden. Good work, Sweden. (laughs) They've always been world leaders in fucking... (laughs) <laughs> Ever since the bikini team, I feel like it's just uh, it's a good PR move for the. Um, <laughs> but other countries that have put significant effort into tackling the baby bust, as it's called in quotes here, have struggled. Singapore still has a fertility rate of around one point three. Damn. Yeah, Professor Murray says I find people laugh it off. They can't imagine it could be true. They think women will just decide to have more kids. If you can't find a solution, then eventually the species disappears. But that's a few centuries away. The researchers warn against undoing the progress on women's education and access to contraception. Professor Stein Emil Vosset said, 
Responding to population decline is likely to become an overriding policy concern in many nations, but must not compromise efforts to enhance women's reproductive health or progress on women's rights. And it says, what about Africa? Uh, the population of sub-Saharan Africa is expected to treble in size to more than 3 billion people by 2100. And the study says Nigeria will become the world's second biggest country with a population of 791 million. Damn. Hang on, so that, that would mean one of... Or, it, that would mean India or India. China declining below that because they're both... In, China's that, well over a billion. I think India is close to, if not over a billion as well now, isn't it? As far um, as Africa is concerned, though, um, are they taking into consideration... Like, their population is going to be going up, but so will the temperatures, and that's going to cause its own... Right, food shortages, uh, or at least, you know, have to get new technologies to grow food, and yeah... Uh, uh, Professor Murray says we will have many more people of African descent in many more countries as we go through this. Global recognition of the challenges around racism are going to be all the more critical if there are large numbers of people of African descent in many countries. Yep. Uh, why is uh, and why the t why is two point one the fertility rate threshold? You might think the number should be two. Two parents have two children, so the population st stays the same size. But even with the best health care, not all children survive to adulthood. Also, babies are ever so slightly more likely to be male. It means the replacement figure is 2.1 in developed countries. I thought it was the other way around. I thought more female babies were born, but apparently I'm wrong. Uh, or I thought if there was a difference, it wasn't biological, but just because of, like, still the small number of uh, cases where, you know, either in, you know, in China when the one-child policy... Yeah, yeah selection right, right, happens yeah. pre-birth. Yeah. Um, that might be it. And then uh, Professor Ibrahim uh, Abu Bakar at the University College London said, if these predictions are even half accurate, migration will become a necessity for all nations and not an option. To be successful, we need a fundamental rethink of global politics. The distribution of working age populations will be crucial to whether humanity prospers or withers. Hmm. Mm, oh, no more man. child labor laws. Yeah. <laughs> well, no more children. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, is there an upside to this? Let's, let's try to solve this one in the next five or ten minutes, guys. So how, can we do it? Hmm. Nope. Okay. Um, we tried. <laughs> we did our best. Well, I think I think the upside is what you know, Jonah was talking about, Webb, that there is that reduction of competition for resources. But, yeah, the trouble mm. is 80-year-olds and 5-year-olds can't farm. <clears throat> well, again, there won't be but the robots can. Yeah, I mean, if we do get to a place where not only AI is as advanced as, it pro as I think it will be by then, but also the, of universal accept acceptance of things like UBI, which I don't know how we don't, like COVID should have already taught us we're going to need this. So we might as well start getting used to it and giving it some branding that all sides of the political spectrum like, but universal basic income is required from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it does again. You know, I, I okay. Wealth is a construct is a little bit of an exaggeration, but the financial structure and the necessity of a large amount of the work that is created in our society just so that sort of propagate the system is is silly and will have to be restructured. And the sort of you have to do this this fairly menial work so that you have value to society, even though it's being forced upon you and it's entirely unnecessary now right yeah. like that that will change and well that hopefully will change so we'll become serfs for each other uh, as in just like nurses for each other or what kind of stuff are we doing like like just like serfdom like we'll just be like it's like you know uh, we we are 
We are the people we are working. I guess that's just communism, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, sure. Wait, we trade off who's working for who by week or something? No, like, but we, we, are, we are who we are working for we are in the grand scheme of things, right? For. In terms of, I don't get it. So like we were saying, like, it's like, it's like the idea that you have to work to, have, to provide a service for society. But everyone's going to have to do that, right? Well, everyone does right now, but... Or... I don't. Oh, I don't do anything. <laughs> well, I mean, you do. yes, you do, obviously. <laughs> All these things you're making are contributing to society, and some of them are compensating you. I mean, not not your fault that uh, Jonah Radio didn't... Uh, <laughs> you didn't monetize it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, then again, you know, we could have a global pan pandemic much bigger than this one that takes care of all of this. So uh, it's not an issue in 80 years. But, yeah, that's, it's such an interesting thing because it's one of those problems where, like they said, to, to address it on a macro scale would require, <laughs> how do you just cajole someone into having more kids? There's no, it's all of this individual, individual people's rights to make, to have control their lives which no one would ever say is a bad thing but well, the end result is this well i mean mm -hmm. it's only bad in the in the grand scheme but obviously in the individual case by case it'd be crazy to say to force someone to have children so i don't I mean, see any that's what i'm saying like it is crazy to us but there 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 are plenty of people in our society and others who yeah wouldn't put it in those words but would mm -hmm. definitely institute policies that have that effect Right. Pro but probably not for this purpose explicitly, but like religion. But, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe there was some kind of knowledge of the of the age structure ne necessary for support inherent in whoever in whatever, you know, human wrote the Bible, the, you know, the go forth and multiply kind of thing. Well, there, uh, there's, it definitely is. You know, those things definitely have roots. And you know, there are many of those rules in various religions that have that underneath it are basically to provide the propagation of that religion and and its and its preservation, right? Or not even of the religion, but just of the society of the people. Yeah, like well, the, like yeah. even the you know the fact that Catholic priests are celibates, which was not the case in the early days of the Catholic Church. I think I, I'm pretty sure it was brought in later, and it was to keep money in the church. Oh yeah, because you wouldn't be able to like have ownership of of the structures of the church and pass it on to children or something or yeah ex exactly um you know there are a bunch of things like that there are definitely societies and religions that very much prize having as many kids as possible and that is partly just as you know to propagate that culture and faith yeah and you know and, what to oh, sorry go ahead yeah and you know maybe maybe that will become more widespread and just be like you know fuck for france <laughs> you know, figuring out what, what to do with this issue is certainly a great debate. And do you guys know what else is a great debate? Solid. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't I'm, I'm, what, are you, what are you trying to do here, Andy? I don't, I don't, get, I don't get what you're... Uh... Well, it turns out there's a program on sci-fi that Wait, I actually... Is that the program actually, that you, you worked on? Yeah, I, I wrote on that. And uh, that uh, my friend TJ Chambers actually ran it. And, uh... Wait, I know TJ Chambers as well. Yeah, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you and Joan are both on an episode that is airing on Thursday, July 16th. With with Thursday be t tomorrow or possibly tonight, depending, depending on what time this episode when, drops. When I put this up, yes, I didn't want to bind <laughs> myself with that one, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, your episode is is coming up, and I forgot who the other two guests with you are. Is it Maud Garrett? Yeah, it is. Yes. It is friend of the show Maud and 
hopefully very soon future friend Ify as well. Oh yeah, Ify Nwadawe. That's right. Who Another writer-producer. He wrote on the show as well, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't know if listeners have already checked this out, but it's a super fun show hosted, as we mentioned, by Baron Vaughn, and it's a chance for uh, friends in the of the nerdy and entertaining persuasion, such as you two, to come on a panel and uh, argue about... What was? Did you have to do the um, who was the best sensei, Mr. Miyagi or Yoda, Jonah? I, yeah, yeah. That's, I did that. Yeah, that wasn't Actually, my yeah. episode. That, that was a different. Oh, one. a different one. Okay. Yeah, that was a different one. Things I was up again. It's Orlando Bloom. Oh, no, nice. Orlando Jones. Orlando Jones. Uh, <laughs> I was confused as to too. But uh, I, got, I gotta say, it was a slightly weird taping day because it was just before everything completely shut down. Um, mm-hmm. So we were, our audience were every crew member that they could gather who wasn't directly involved at that moment in actually running the show. Yeah, it became uh, very yeah. talk soup for those last two days of shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Woo! But it was a, I, I've got to say, it was genuinely one of the most fun TV making experiences I've had. It was really fun taping. I, everyone on the panel was f- fun and funny. I agree. It was so fun to watch. Yeah. And my only regret is that it's a half hour show because really, I think we ended up with enough material. It could have been an hour each episode. So maybe we're going to have, I think there already are a fair number of bonuses. If you go to sci-fi.com, uh, you can view full episodes and some bonus clips that didn't well, make the I know, cut. I know but, they, uh, they had to cut the filming of the season short by a couple of episodes. So maybe there can be some uh, little combo package shows that they squeeze out at the end. Yeah. We still oh, have yeah. four episodes uh, written that we didn't get to shoot. So ideally that, uh, Hopefully, if people, if listeners uh, check this out and tell their friends, um, when the world comes back, we can keep making more of this because it was super fun. Yeah, so please do, please watch it, and you know, hopefully, hopefully you like me if you have listened to the majority (laughs) of this show. Uh, Hopefully, you like Jonah as well because you've probably encountered him in many of his other shows, and and a a fair number of the jokes that a bunch of us said came out of Andy's brain. So check it out. True. Uh, It's on sci-fi. We should say it's on. Uh, I believe 11 o'clock on Thursdays, but you can view, um, I think most or all the episodes that have already aired for free over on sci-fi.com. So yeah. It's the great debate. Nice. Uh, Jonah, what else have you got coming up and where else can our listeners find out about you and everything you've done? Uh, well, uh, you know, there's the archives of my social media, which I haven't touched in a month. Um, <laughs> and then there's, um, uh, the only thing I'm really doing right now, besides just kind of like writing and stuff like that, is uh, uh, I've been oh I've been doing articles for Spin dot uh, com uh, where I kind of just uh, write stories about my life, kind of tangentially involved music. It always kind of comes with a playlist on Spotify. But then I also do uh, Jonah Radio, which is uh, like a music news kind of like this one where we just talk about like stuff that's happening in the world of music and just joke around about it and play clips of stuff we found. But we also take submissions. We play songs. Um, complete songs by bands that submit us their stuff we usually ask for like a band camp link to a song they think that we might like and play and uh you can just submit a submit that to us uh at our email which is jonah radio r-a-y-d-i-o at gmail.com uh we've definitely got some musically inclined guests oh yeah. sorry listeners rather um like we I, I don't know why it's just it there was a period of time where for, i can't remember how it started but a bunch of people were sending in different versions of our theme tune oh it's great there were some very creative versions um so yeah if listeners want to keep doing that feel free probably science at gmail.com yeah we haven't had any of those in i was gonna say a while but it's a while while because the i I don't remember listening to any of them since you left the big house in the valley that's four years ago this week i believe wow yeah um but yeah uh do that check out jonah uh please check out the great debate 
And yeah, Jonah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do this. Let's see. It's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye.